Well, if you will find a copy of God's Word, you'll find the Scripture passage in your bulletin or in the pew in front of you. You'll find copies of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we'll be happy to provide one for you. I love giving Bibles away. Um, this is, uh, we're studying, our, continuing our study of Acts, and this morning we're looking at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, No. We have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that were touched, that had touched the skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastering all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that by your spirit, you would change us from the inside out. Cast before our eyes more and more today. Um, our Savior. We pray for unction and anointing for the preacher and the hearer alike. In the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Have you ever seen the TV show uh, Hometown on HDTV? It's a great show. In this show, uh, two Christians, actually, uh, Ben and Aaron Napier, uh, they are working to uh, redo, to remodel, to renovate, to bring revival to their small town of Laurel, Mississippi. Well, there was a, a little bit of a shoot-off off of that series called Hometown Takeover in which uh, the Discovery Channel networks, they kind of all came together and, and they invaded Wetumpka. Do you know Wetumpka between Montgomery and Lake Martin? Um, they invaded Wetumpka for about six months. 
And they took on about a dozen projects in which they completely renovated places, and they brought, they really redid all of downtown, or some very key buildings. And the goal was to bring revival and renewal. Uh, I think it's been about a year and a half or so. And, and things seem to be going pretty well with Tunk. It really seems to have given them a shot in the arm. Uh, but, you know, it really does just deal with on what's on the outside. And it redoes some businesses, which is great. But there was a, a better renovation team uh, led by a man named Paul. And he led this renovation team into the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. He stayed there almost three years, rather than the six months the AGT, HDTV folks did. And the, and the work he did was not focused on the external, right, the, the color coordination and the building codes. Rather, he was concerned about something far deeper. The renovation that he was doing was on from the inside out. And, he, and while he didn't have the, the pockets, the deep pockets of the Discovery Channel networks, he had something, he had someone so much more powerful, so much better. He had the Holy Spirit. It was actually the Holy Spirit who did all the renovating work. It's kind of like Ben and Aaron. They don't actually do any of the work. Uh, they have teams that come in and do it, and they get these great cameos of, of the stars doing the work, and everybody else you know, does it. It's kind of like how Paul did it. He came in, and he preached, and he did a lot of things, but it wasn't him who was doing the work. Rather, it was the Holy Spirit working through his efforts, doing a great thing, bringing revival to Ephesus. Paul wasn't working with old buildings simply in need of repair. Rather, he was working with dead spiritual hearts, those who didn't need repair, those who needed life. This morning we see in Ephesus what happens when revival arrives. Revival arrives into Ephesus and the whole place has just changed. And we, we have three points this morning because it's you know, a Presbyterian sermon. You have three points. You have a first, you have a, a city changed, people saved and God's people renewed. Well, first we see uh, a city changed. Well, before revival uh, showed up in Ephesus, well, let's talk about what Ephesus was. It was a very important city in the Roman Empire and in the province of Asia, the Roman province of Asia, which is now uh, Asia Minor or, or Turkey. It was a big city had between 200 and 400,000 people. That's a big city anywhere, but especially a big city in the, in the ancient days. It was uh, always in the top five uh, cities in the, uh, in the Roman Empire. It was an important commercial hub. It was a great place to go and target. It would be kind of like Atlanta with the, with the Delta hub. You know, Delta flies out of Atlanta. and If you want to deal with Delta, you go to Atlanta. If you wanted to deal with Asia Minor, where did you go? You went to Ephesus. It was the cultural economic, educational hub of that area. It also had one of the largest libraries in the world uh, and even uh, had the largest freestanding man-made building in the world, the Temple of Artemis. But there was a dark side to Ephesus. It was a grand city. There was a real dark side to Ephesus. See, it was a center for dark magic. Now, when I say dark magic, I'm not talking about illusions or birthday parties. Rather, I'm talking about that demonic magic in which spells and incantations were used to curse people, to do all sorts of satanic things. You know, it was, its, it's famous library was famous not just because it held great works of Greek philosophers. But rather, it was one of the largest depositories 
of magic scrolls. It was a dark place. So when Paul rolls in, sent by the Holy Spirit, he finds a place of intense spiritual warfare. And the evil one is not happy that he's there. We see this throughout our text, this this pushback that comes against Paul. And the first pushback we see is actually from the religious, right? Those who are in the Jewish synagogue. Paul's strategy was always to preach the gospel first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so when he would show up into a place, if it had a synagogue, he would go there first and he would preach the gospel there. Now he was actually able to stay in the synagogue there in Ephesus longer than any other city he had preached in. For three months he got to preach the gospel there. But, but then... But then, some people reacted very poorly to the gospel. And they actually stood up in the the gathering and and, and, and started blaspheming the Lord and speaking ill of the way. The way, W-A-Y, was a way of speaking of Christianity early on. So, Paul leaves and he goes next door, which we'll pick up, or down the street rather, we'll pick that up in a little bit. You know, sometimes when revival comes to a city, one of the first things it does is to expose those who are religious on the outside but aren't truly Christians. The Jews in the synagogue who did not come to the Lord, there were many who did, but the ones who reacted very poorly to it, they weren't interested in the souls of people, but rather hanging on to the power that they had, the power they had grown accustomed to. You know, when the Word of God is preached, it will do one of two things. It will either harden or soften the heart. In the ESV it says they became stubborn. The Greek word is literally hardened. It's what happened to Pharaoh's heart. Do you remember Pharaoh's heart in the Old Testament in Exodus? became hardened to the the Word of the Lord. And that's, that's what happens to the Jewish leadership. They reject the idea of Christ being the Messiah, and they really push back. They more or less throw Paul out of the synagogue. But we also see Satan's pushback as revival comes into Ephesus in the fact that there is this great uh, demonic activity that is occurring in the area. How do we know that? Because in verses 11 through 12, we see that God was demonstrating the truthfulness of Paul's message by accompanying it by great miraculous works. And one of those things that was happening is that just handkerchiefs and aprons, work aprons, uh, this would, he was a tent maker, so perhaps he would take off his apron he was working with. Things that had touched his skin would be brought to those who were ill, but especially those who had evil spirits inside of them. And just by touching something that had touched Paul, the Lord used those things to free them of the demonic possession and oppression that they were experiencing. You know, whenever true revival, true change um, hits a city, when there is a real movement of the Holy Spirit in a city, there will be plenty of spiritual uh, warfare, plenty of pushback from Satan. And it seems in this area that we saw first the, the, the Jews push back, and then we saw these uh, de- demonic spirits. But, but there was a third group that had actually married the two together. And those were Jewish exorcists. Now, itinerant Jewish exorcists were pretty common in those days. It was a pretty big business, actually. And the idea was that if you had the right words to say, and if you could use the proper words, names of God in the Old Testament, then they could, these Jewish exorcists, could drive out evil spirits. 
Now, now this is, this is un, very unhelpful, right? What they're doing is not biblical, right? They were, they were um, uh, using the culture of the day, marrying it to religious language, and then making money off of it. It's not good. Now, <laughs> this is my favorite part of the whole text. Um, they hear about this name of Jesus. <laughs> so these seven sons of a man who at least claimed to be a high priest, the sons of Sceva, uh, they try to use Jesus' name in order to drive out spirits. They say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. I, I, love, I love this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. What a sight. And this got out real quickly, by the way. Because of this, we learned that both Jews and Greeks, even those who weren't converted, heard of the name of Jesus and feared the Lord. I don't think this is like uh, fear the Lord and salvation necessarily, but many seem to have come to Christ. But even those who didn't know the Lord, they were afraid. Because there was something here that was real and could not be faked and could not be assimilated for one's own use. You know, when the Lord is on the glory, when the Lord is on the move, He will always get the glory. And that's certainly the case here. You know, when revival hits a town, others who don't know Jesus take notice. They may not understand it. They may not be able to put their finger on what's different. Some might not even like it. But because people change. It's kind of like the wind, right? I don't know how the wind works. But on a windy day, you can see the effects of the wind. You can't catch the wind. You can't use the wind for your own purposes. You can't, you know, say, go this way, go that way. The wind moves where it wills. This is John chapter 3. So the Spirit moves where He wills. And and a lot of times, unbelievers will look at a city that is in change when revival is coming and say, I don't know what's going on, but something's different. You know, one of the effects of this revival, we're going to spend more time about this in a minute, is that these believers um, would be driven to repentance and burn $50 million worth of books. What a public proclamation that Jesus is King. Others took notice. You know, I love from the beginning to the end of this story, Ephesus goes from being a center for the dark arts, dark magic. But have you ever heard of the seven churches of Revelation? Revelation 1 through 3, uh, the book of Revelation was written first to these seven churches. Ephesus is the first one. And that's because the gospel went out from Ephesus to the entire region. It's not just that Ephesus was changed. It was that Ephesus was changed and then it became a hub for evangelistic activity. And so in Revelation 1 through 3, we read of the other six um, cities that had received revival because of what was going on in Ephesus. Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When a city is changed, when revival comes, it's not just for the good of that city. It's also for the good of those around it. You know, the, the big thing in church planning is you go to the big city in the local area, and then you, you know, the gospel goes out from there. 
So for a long time, people have focused on big cities, Montgomery, Birmingham, Mobile, those sorts of places. Let me tell you something. Bruton is a big city when it comes to our region. Right? We are an economic, educational, medical, spiritual hub for the region. And what happens here trickles, trickles out to the regions around us. Um, so we should read Bruton into this text. That the Lord would bring revival to our town, and He would use our town to reach others. Well, when HGTV left in Wetumpka, it was kind of a risky thing. They had done this thing with Tumka. They'd spent, I mean, untold millions of dollars uh, on Wetumpka. The question is, will it last? Will it last? You know, lasting change cannot just be redoing an HVAC system, paint. It has to be throughout. True revival, true change comes when the Holy Spirit comes and invades our hearts grants us life, makes us new. So the first point we saw a city change. The second point is we see people saved. People saved. You know, revival is a movement of the Holy Spirit. We can pray for it, we can work for it, we can ask for it, but we can't plan it, we can't schedule it, we can't fake it. Right? And you can't put a sign out that says revival this weekend. Now, I know what we mean by that. We're having revival services or something like that, but, but revival is on the Lord's timing. We should seek it and pray for it fervently. But true revival can only come from Him. But what I love about our text is that people are saved from all different backgrounds in our text. And that's one of the things that happens in true revival is that people from all kinds of backgrounds, the rich and the poor, the high and the low, the white and the black, you, 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 whatever categories you want to put in there, they come to know Jesus. It's not just a class thing. The first group we see in this text are those who have incomplete knowledge of salvation. They have some, but they're not really saved. They're not quite saved. They're kind of in the introductory phase of learning about Christianity. And these are the ones who are in verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. So Paul shows up in Ephesus. And the first group of people he encounters are what we might call disciples of John the Baptist. Now remember, John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. We read of him at the beginning of the Gospels. And he had been sent to be the forerunner of the Christ who was to come. And he kept telling people, I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. Right? He was there to prepare the way. Well, these disciples of John somewhere somehow fell off the face of the earth. There's just a lot of questions about who these people are. But they knew the teaching of John the Baptist. But they didn't really know anything about Jesus. They surely didn't know about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Paul shows up and he begins to talk to these folks, and it's clear that they have some knowledge but not enough. And so he tells them about Jesus. They repent of their sins, but their faith in Christ. They are baptized, Christian baptism. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them in power. Right? You have these four mini Pentecosts, or four Pentecosts in uh, the book of Acts confirming the movement of the Lord in each one of these new areas. This was the first time the gospel had gone forth in the province of Asia. And it was clear that these people had, who thought they knew they needed a little help. And the Lord used a little help to bring them to salvation. You know, I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, we see this in our context of those who might have grown up in the Bible Belt, 
perhaps going from ch- to church time to time. They might know some facts about Christ. They might know what Easter's about. Christmas they celebrate dutifully. But they don't have a full understanding of Jesus. Perhaps they've heard that Christianity is about not drinking, smoking, chewing. Right? But in reality, it's about what Jesus Christ has done for lost, wretched, crooked, awful sinners like you and me. That He would live, die, rise for us. And that if we put our trust in Him, we can be saved. So the first group is you have those who thought they knew what they needed to know, but they didn't. They heard the Word of God and they were converted. Those who did not have complete knowledge. But then you have the religious. We see this in verse 10. Excuse me, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Paul went to the synagogue. Who are these people? These are the religious people. In verses 10 and 20, we learn that that while some Jews do reject Jesus, many others trusted in Christ for salvation. You know, these were folks who had the Old Testament teaching. They knew about the promised Messiah, but they were still trusting in their efforts to save themselves, to be good people, to make God love them. Those things don't work. Some of these heard the Word of God preached and were converted. You know, I think the religious, the outwardly religious but spiritually dead, can be the hardest group of people to reach. And that's what makes ministering the Bible Belt challenging. It's because everybody in Brute's a Christian, right? At least that's what they probably put on their census. Do they, they ask that on the census anymore? If you ask them, that's what they would say, right? But there are a lot of people like this. Perhaps people who were baptized because that's what you did at a certain age, or perhaps they went to youth group because their parents made them, or perhaps they had grown up um, regular church tenders, but couldn't quite figure out this whole sermon thing. Yeah, I heard a better speaker at the Rotary Club this week. Like, what's so good about this? My father came from this kind of background. Outwardly religious, spiritually dead. He grew up going to church. I had a grandfather who was a Methodist preacher, I believe. He and my mother were members in Episcopal Church and dutifully carting his two young boys, me and my brother, to church every Sunday. But inside, my dad did not know Jesus. All of his friends would have said, hey, that's a great religious man. But inside, he didn't know Jesus. That is, until the Holy Spirit invaded his heart, made him new, convicted of his sin, and caused him to call upon Jesus for salvation. He did it through a friend sharing the gospel with him. At my age, in his mid-30s. And then three months later, he led my brother to Christ. Three months later, he led me to Christ. It was revival in the Johnson household. Someone who was outwardly religious but spiritually dead was converted. It can be the hardest group to reach because the outwardly religious think they've got it all together and don't have any need for Jesus. But there's another group here in Ephesus who hear the Word of God and are converted. We see this in verses 9 through 11. But when some stubborn, some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Well, when things got dicey in the synagogue, Paul rented time in a lecture hall called the Hall of Tyrannus. Uh, that was not his given name, because Tyrannus means tyrant. I guess his students gave him that name. 
Uh, and it was common in Ephesus, what you would do is you would take the middle hours, 11 to 4, off. Because it was this what you did. It was kind of hot. It was kind of the siesta mindset. You would work early in the morning, late in the afternoon. And then the middle of the day, everybody would get rest. Big meal, rest, wait for it to get cooler. Well, apparently Paul, during those hours, rented the hall of Tyrannus. Paul was working as a tent maker, we learned from Acts chapter 20, during his time in Ephesus. And so he would work in the morning, then he'd lecture for five hours, then probably go back to work after that. What a schedule. If he did that for six days a week for two years, that's over 3,000 hours of lecturing. And as a result, many Gentiles became Christians. Who were these Gentiles? Folks who had no knowledge of the Word of God, no knowledge of who Christ was or what He had done. They were living a godless lifestyle. They were living the, the wild lifestyle of worshiping Roman gods like the, uh, the Roman god of Artemis, the fertility god. Bad, bad things were done there. Sexual morality was, was rampant and celebrated. Perhaps many were caught up in dark magic like... Um, uh, many were caught up in dark, dark magic, search, certainly worshiping false gods. And, and so the ungodly, right? those who outwardly are ungodly, those people who say, oh yeah, yeah, they really need Jesus. right? And so you have the religious on the one hand who don't know the Lord, and you have the irreligious on the other hand who don't know the Lord, and there's revival in both groups of those people. Both groups need Jesus. And apparently a lot of people became Christians. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I love one of our pastors in our presbytery has one of these stories of coming out of one of these crazy backgrounds. I've never seen this man in short sleeves. And there's a reason for that. Because he is completely tatted up. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a tattoo. There's not, I'm not saying that's sinful. It, it's not good to have those kind of tattoos, right? Before he was a Christian, he led a pretty wild lifestyle. He tells stories of being in knife fights and stabbing and being stabbed. And, and now he's a Presbyterian preacher. He has three churches. He rides a circuit, old school, right? Bentonville, Lounsboro, and one other. Hainville. Uh, and, and he's one of these men who lived a crazy lifestyle. And the Lord got hold of him, brought revival to his heart. And now he's a, a Presbyterian pastor, one of the godliest men I've ever met. You know, as we look beyond, as we look at these groups, we find that no one is beyond the grace of the Lord Jesus. No one, no one. No past, no present, no sin, no struggle, no color, profession, class, size of paycheck, or reputation. The cleansing power of Christ's blood is sufficient to cover anyone of anything and in any situation. May the Lord work mightily in our midst. Well, so this revival, we see three things. First, we see a city change. Second, we see people saved. Third is we see changed Christians. God transforms His people. Revival is not just about out there. It's not just about unbelievers. It is also about believers growing closer to the Lord, of God showing us more and more of our sin and more and more of our need for Him, helping us understand more and more the depth of love that Jesus has for us. We see this in verses 18 and 19. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to 50,000 pieces of silver. What's going on here? Well, this, when the exorcists 
tried, the, the Jewish ones tried to um, exercise the demon using Jesus' name, and the demoniac <laughs> strips them, wounds them, and they run out of the place. There's fear everywhere. And apparently there are these believers who took this as um, a bit of a wake-up call. These were Christians who had the secret practice of continuing to do dark magic. Now, wouldn't it be great if we stopped sinning when we became Christians? We no longer struggle with sin. That'd just be wonderful. But that's not what happens. And God grows us bit by bit, and He reveals to us more and more our sin, and He'll show us something over here that we didn't even think was bad, and He'll say, yeah, you need to deal with that. He'll do it in bits and pieces, and apparently this was one of those bits and pieces here. And this was radical repentance. What did He do? What did they do? They took all their books, and they burned them. Now, let me tell you something. I'm a bookie. Not like bets for the Bengals and Rams tonight. I love books. Come to my library at my office, and it's, sometimes it gets out of control. Um, and for a long time, I felt really bad about throwing a book away. I mean, of all things. might be the unforgivable sin, throwing a book away. You can't do it. And then I began to realize that some of these books I have, like I, I get books of other religions and the points that I don't agree with so I can do research and have them as reference. And sometimes as I clean out my office, I need to cull things through and get rid of things. Um, and it struck me, you know, some, some of those books I, uh, no one needs to get. It's kind of like when I go to Books Million. <laughs> I love going to Books Million. <laughs> and go to the Christian section, and I find Joel Osteen. And I take the good books and put them on top of Joel Osteen so no one can find him, right? <laughs> so if you go to Books Million looking for him and you can't find him, it's probably because I've been there, right? Uh, we should put his books in, the, in, a, in a pile and burn them. Um, but that's what these folks do. Now, this thing, th- these books would have been worth a lot of money. Most of my books are somewhere between 50, 50 15 and the really expensive academic ones are 100 bucks. These would have been thousands. All of them would have been copied out by hand. This would have been inheritance. This would have been, these would have been asset-level things like you put in wills. What were they? They were books about how to do dark magic. And knowing that no one needed those, not at the thrift store and not to be sold to someone else, they repented of their sins and burned them. One commentator says it was probably about $50 million worth of books. It's a lot of money. Repentance can be costly. Repentance can be costly. Are there areas of your life? You know, revival comes. Renewal comes. God shows us things about ourselves that we need to deal with. Are there things you need to deal with in your life? Could it be costly? Perhaps an occasional drink has turned into needing three a night. It might be painful and expensive to pour all that alcohol down the drain, but it's probably the godliest thing you could do. Or is there a cable subscription that you're paying, what, like $300 for a month now? That's leading you to watch things you shouldn't on TV? You may have to pay out that contract in order to get rid of it. It might save your marriage. Matthew 16, 24 through 27 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. My friends, revival came to Ephesus. It changed the city. People's lives were sa- or souls were saved, and God's people were driven to repentance and to a renewed walk with Jesus. What would happen if revival came to Britain? What would happen if the Holy Spirit moved in power and conviction and our town really was changed? You know, while it would be great if HTTV would choose us as the next city to come and help make over, but those benefits would only last for a few decades. What the Holy Spirit offers lasts for all of eternity. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you do this in our midst? Would you change our city? Would you save many souls? And would you grant renewal to your believers? We ask these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.